All right, guys, welcome in to today's episode of the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Blake Lovell, and on today's episode of the podcast, we recap Wednesday night's action in SEC basketball uh, and look at the NCAA tournament situation for a couple of the bubble teams that were in action, and one of those was South Carolina, who picked up a 94-90 to win over Georgia in overtime. Uh, it was a game that the Gamecocks had to have uh, if they wanted to stay on the NCAA tournament bubble, and they wound up finding a way to win it. Uh, was not easy, was not pretty. Um, if you just looked at the stats uh, and didn't watch a lot of the game, you're probably going to see a couple things that really stood out. Uh, one of those was Anthony Edwards, uh, who did have 36 points. He missed a couple key free throws late in the game, but overall, uh, just a a normal type of performance from Anthony Edwards, uh, showing what he's capable of and making his case uh, as the potential number one pick in the 2020 NBA draft. The other stats that stood out uh, were two that have really become a common theme in the SEC this year, as we've talked about uh, the past several weeks, and that was 56 total fouls, 71 total free throws in this game. Uh, But that's not exactly unusual, like we said, for the SEC this season. Uh, Also not unusual for South Carolina uh, to have a game like that uh, where those types of numbers are there. Uh, But for the most part, it didn't feel like a game that was just completely bogged down uh, by those stoppages in play uh, until probably down the stretch in the second half and then into overtime uh, because you had teams in the bonus and all that. But uh, overall, I mean, a, a competitive game without question. And uh, it was one, again, that South Carolina had to win to stay in the NCAA tournament conversation. Uh, The first half, Georgia hit a lot of threes. They had six of them, uh, while South Carolina dominated the paint. So both teams got their offense in different ways in the first half. Uh, And then, really, you know, both teams hit big shots down the stretch in regulation. I know Frank Martin probably wasn't happy uh, with South Carolina's offensive possession at the end of regulation uh, that would have had a chance to win the game. And I think they just took a long three-pointer. Uh, just seemed unnecessary. They had a little bit more time. Uh, so he didn't exactly seem thrilled with that. But uh, like we said, it didn't end up hurting the Gamecocks uh, ultimately because uh, Mike Coatsar took a big charge uh, late uh, you know, to kind of seal it for the Gamecocks and get the win. He finished with a double-double. Uh, Keyshawn Bryant also had a double-double. I thought he played really well. Uh, had a dunk, too that was uh, really impressive uh you can go back and find that one it was uh it was something else uh but uh like we said i mean really overall six players in double figures for the Gamecocks in this one and um you know it was it was different than the first meeting between the two as we said that first one they played in Athens uh South Carolina had a 27 to 5 lead in that game this was much more competitive and uh, Georgia had their chances down the stretch uh, but just could not find a way to make enough plays. And uh, like, you know, Mike Coatsar with the big charge, uh, that was huge. And I know uh, some Georgia fans did not agree with the call, but uh, I think both head coaches didn't necessarily agree with some of the calls that were made uh, down the stretch uh, in overtime. But uh, again, nothing unusual probably in SEC basketball this season. Uh, but now sort of to flip it from the game itself, to where the Gamecocks stand in terms of their overall resume at this point. They entered this game uh, in the next four out line in Joe Lenardi's uh, newest bracketology. And, uh, you know, what does this do? Does this really move them forward? Probably not a whole lot at this point. But uh, as we always say, you know, you never really know because it is also dependent on what other bubble teams do. But, you know, beating Georgia isn't a win that's just going to catapult you into the field or anything like that. But it does keep... The Gamecocks in the conversation, and uh, when you look at their overall resume, 
They do have four quad one wins right now, and that's their biggest sort of selling point uh, to the committee is that they've proven that they can beat uh, these quad one opponents, and that's what you like to have on your NCAA tournament resume. What's also a, a good possibility for South Carolina is that as of right now, Alabama is also a potential quad one opportunity uh, for them on Saturday. But Alabama currently sits at 40 in the net. Now that could change by the time we get to the game on Saturday uh, for South Carolina. Uh, but what they don't have uh, on the resume is a lack of uh, quad four losses because they do have uh, that one quad four loss to Stetson. Um, and so that that's something that's kind of glaring. But when you when you have those four quad one wins, that's what's kept South Carolina uh, in this point now to where, again, they're, they're at least in the mix. And uh, knowing that they sort of stood in that next four-out conversation entering this game, uh, it, it puts them in a spot where they're, they're not going to play their way backwards probably at this point unless you have a lot of teams that just sort of make that surge ahead of them. Uh, so at least South Carolina, Frank Martin's team, uh, has a chance to at least continue to move forward. Now, how how far, far they move ahead, that's the big thing that's going to determine uh, whether they can make a big enough push to get into the NCAA tournament. I think when you look at their remaining schedule, uh, obviously they have the two road games against Alabama and Vanderbilt and the home game against Mississippi State. So uh, it goes without saying that they can't afford to lose that game at Vanderbilt no matter the circumstances. Uh, and if they were to beat both Alabama uh, on the road and beating Mississippi State, uh, that would be a huge boost. And I think at that point, you're probably looking at South Carolina uh, going into you know the SEC tournament because they, they would have likely, if they went out basically at this point, um, they go into the SEC tournament in a pretty intriguing spot. Uh, again, we can't, it's hard to say right now exactly how many wins they would need to get in because it all matters. Uh, everything matters in terms of looking at the entire picture, not just South Carolina. And so uh, there's no way to know exactly, uh, you know, what we couldn't pick out a scenario that says they must win this many games in the SEC tournament. We won't know that until the tournament gets ready to start. Uh, but uh, for now, uh, at least uh, a positive uh, for South Carolina, uh, finding a way to win this game because it was not easy. And uh, Georgia made a lot of plays, just uh, South Carolina made more of them uh, down the stretch in this one. Uh, but coming up, uh, we will look at uh, Arkansas and Tennessee it was a big game for Arkansas. It was one uh, that they had to win in order to stay on the NCAA tournament bubble. And uh, we'll get into that one coming up here next on the Locked On SEC podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And Arkansas picks up an 86-69 to win against Tennessee. Uh, if you're the NCAA tournament committee and you're trying to judge the Razorbacks uh, with and without Isaiah Joe, this was the exact type of performance uh, you wanted to see from Eric Musselman's team without question. Um, it was just a, a dominant performance for Arkansas, and it was one where, you know, you look at how they played. They came out uh, clearly on a mission. Uh, we mentioned in the preview, uh, revenge on the mind, and uh, they took control of the game early. They were up by 13 at halftime and really never looked back. I mean, they led for, I think, all but one minute and 20 seconds of this game, uh, which was uh, Tennessee uh, getting out to a one to nothing lead. So, it's one of those things with Arkansas now where, as we've said, they just have to keep winning, and this was an impressive win. Yes, the story is going to be how impressive Mason Jones was, 37 points. Uh, he did what he usually does in terms of getting to the free throw line. He went 11 of 19 from the floor, but went 12 of 15 
from the free throw line. Uh, Isaiah Joe added 22 points. Uh, he went 12 of 12 from the free throw line. So uh, those two guys uh, just uh, have proven that when they're both on the court together, this is a different team. And I think if you're the NCAA tournament committee, you're trying to judge what Arkansas looks like with and without Isaiah Joe. Uh, it's clear that you know just from the eye test that they are a different team. And so that is something that Arkansas fans are going to look at here and understand that they're going to be judged different based on those games. And in this case, uh, that's a good thing, especially if Arkansas continues to play like this. Um, you know, And that's what we're saying, though. You, even at this point, uh, even with playing well these past two games, it's still a matter of winning. You can't come out um, you know, and drop two of three here and expect to, to be having the same conversation. They have to keep winning. Um, and you know, when you look at their remaining schedule, which we'll get to here in a second, uh, it's possible that they're going to be able to potentially win all three of, of their remaining regular season games. Now, two of those three are on the road uh, with Georgia and Texas A&M in that group. They've got LSU at home. Uh, but uh, it is very possible that they could win out based on how they've looked in these two games since Isaiah Joe has been back. Uh, you just look at it overall here. I mean, it was, you know, looking at the stat sheet, uh, it's one where, I mean, a lot of things sort of stand out. As we said, the, the two individual performances from Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe, but I think Desi Seals uh, also impressed with how he played in this game, and I've just been impressed with his development overall. This was a game that I think you look at. Arkansas only had seven turnovers. Um, they scored 24 points off of Tennessee's 12 turnovers. So, again, Tennessee didn't really turn it over a lot, uh, but Arkansas was able to capitalize uh, on the ones that they did, and that was big. And something else that, that you look at in this game, uh, Tennessee had zero fast break points. Now, that's probably not a huge shock considering uh, that Tennessee isn't a team that, that is you know a transition run it up to the court and try to get as fast of a shot as possible. They play more of a methodical style on offense, but I think it does point out the fact that if you're a Tennessee team that struggles on offense and you just can't find any easy points on the fast break, uh, that is something that is not necessarily in your favor, and we saw that again here. Uh, they did wind up shooting 44% from the floor, uh, only went 24% from three-point range, or 4 of 17, but uh, I think you just look at this one and say no matter how well Tennessee probably would have played in this game, uh, Arkansas was just uh, very, very good, and it was going to be hard to beat the Hogs no matter what uh, in this one. And so now, uh, as we did with South Carolina, we look at Arkansas's overall resume after this win against Tennessee. Um, right now, um, you know, without Isaiah Joe, again, the five-game losing streak, uh, that is something that's going to be weighed uh, very heavily if Arkansas is able to finish strong here and win, you know, the rest of their games in the regular season and then go into the SEC tournament, uh, just like we said with South Carolina. Who knows at that point? You don't know what the scenario is going to be, uh, but winning is the thing that's going to help the most, uh, no matter what. Uh, you know, no matter what your seed is in the SEC tournament, no matter what the bubble situation for any of the other teams, uh, winning is going to help you uh, take care of getting into the tournament. So that has to be the number one goal and not worrying about, you know, what everyone else is doing you just have to win games here uh, if you're Arkansas they're one that's in that spot where it really kind of doesn't matter what everyone else uh, does so um, but we'll see how it unfolds there but looking at their overall resume like we we're saying um, you know they do have two quad one wins at this point um, what they also have going for them and I've mentioned this to some people is that you know they don't have any losses in that quad three or quad four range and here's why that's important and not having any of those on your resume is great, and, and any anyone would love to have that. And that's the thing I think that sometimes you look at, especially this season, 
Think about all the teams ahead of Arkansas that have some of those blemishes on their resume. Even some of the better teams, you know, that, that we see, um, you know, near the top and the net and all these other things, they've had some really bad losses. And, you know, Kentucky's lost to Evansville. That's one that continues to stand out. Uh, you know, Duke is someone lost to Wake Forest the other night. Um, so, so teams like that that do have really good resumes, though let's not act like they don't, but, uh, you know, they haven't been able to avoid losing to teams that are in that lower range, but that's something that Arkansas has been able to avoid. And so uh, that's another thing that they have going for them uh, at this point. And so when you look at it there, having a nice strength of schedule, I think it's 25 right now, or at least it was, entering the game against Tennessee. Um, and, and having that positive in that you don't have any bad losses, really. Uh, what you could look at here the rest of the way, they could potentially find themselves in a spot where they they could have a, a quad three loss uh, because Texas A&M is actually going to be Arkansas's regular season finale. Uh, by that point, you know, even if Texas A&M loses out, I think their, their schedule is so tough that I don't really think you're going to see Texas A&M fall a ton in the net by that point to where they are a quad three, uh, you know, game. I think they're probably going to stay in that quad two range, but uh, who knows? But that's something for now where, at least right now, you know, there are no other quad three or quad four opponents on Arkansas's resume. So, um, you know, they don't have any of those the rest of the season based on where everyone stands uh, because entering this game, LSU was at 29 in the net. Uh, Tennessee, you know, was at 65. So there's another nice win you add to your resume. Uh, And then Georgia was at 90 and A&M was at one. 17. So, um, you know, it doesn't seem like A&M would slip back into that range. I guess it's possible. Uh, But uh, based on the strength of their remaining opponents, even if they lose a lot of those games, I don't know exactly how far they would fall or if they would fall uh, into potentially being a quad three loss were Arkansas uh, to lose that game uh, in the regular season finale in College Station. But uh, that's kind of the the overview of Arkansas's resume at this point. And so um, avoiding those bad losses, that's been a strength being able to play, you know, a good group of opponents on their schedule, both, you know, in conference and out of conference, a nice non-conference strength of schedule when you just look at the numbers on the NCAA tournament uh, net team sheets uh, and all that. So uh, this team is is firmly in the mix. Uh, There's no other way to put it. Like they are still right there with an opportunity. Uh, It's just a matter of winning and uh, they're doing that thus far. And, uh, you know, you know, someone asked, you know, two of three, if they win two of their final three here, um, you know, I don't, I don't know at that point, you still don't know because uh, that would put them at the regular season. You know, they would finish eight and 10 in SEC play, not exactly, you know, the strongest power conference out there this year is the SEC. So uh, is that something the committee would look at saying, even without Isaiah Joe, if you go eight and 10 in the SEC, uh, we're going to knock you for it. Uh, I don't know. And those are the things that, that come into play when you're on the bubble. But clearly, if you just watch Arkansas these past couple games, you watched it before the five-game losing streak, they are a different team with Isaiah Joe on the court. Uh, and that is something that the committee uh, is going to probably have to be looking at uh, if Arkansas plays this way the rest of the season because they're going to be right there in the mix uh, entering the SEC tournament. But coming up, uh, we will look at Missouri picking up a road win at Vanderbilt and uh, Florida once again impressing in Gainesville with a a really solid victory against LSU. We'll look at those uh, coming up here on the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. 
Missouri picks up a 61-52 win at Vanderbilt, and uh, one that we said in the preview, probably didn't expect this one to be very high scoring, uh, and it certainly wasn't. Uh, both teams shot uh, 42% or less. Uh, the Tigers shot 42%. Vanderbilt shot 36% from the floor. Uh, really the kind of game that you expected, I think, between these two teams. Uh, we knew that that even with the Commodores starting to, to step up and play well, uh, you know they're, they're still relying heavily on Saban Lee, Scotty Pippen Jr., uh, guys like that to sort of carry the load, and they did in this game. They scored 33 of Vanderbilt's 52 points, but uh, Missouri's defense getting you know a couple key players back. We talked about Jeremiah Tillman. He only scored two points, only played nine minutes in this game, um, but uh, just, just getting him back in action uh, was certainly a nice boost for them, and then when you look at uh, Mark Smith also making his return in this game, you know, one of those games where, I mean, neither team, you know, really, I don't think either team made a field goal in the last three and three and a half minutes or so uh, of this game. But uh, it's one, too, where, look, I mean, we've said Missouri's gotten a lot better. Xavier Pinson had 17 in this game. Uh, that was another sort of step forward for him in terms of, of his offensive uh, potential. And he, again, he only did it in 20 minutes because he did have four fouls. Um, but uh, I think you look at this overall for Missouri. Uh, this was a game where, and I said this on Twitter, and you know, people have different reactions because there were probably a lot of people that watched this game and thought, wow, you know, this was sort of a, a defensive type of game, uh, not a ton of offense. Uh, you had 44, you know, free throws total in this one, uh, not unexpected. And for Vanderbilt, I mean, they only went 16 of 29, so that did not help their case here. Uh, in a game like this that wound up only being a nine point game, uh, they missed a lot of free throws, left a lot of points on the table. Uh, but, you know, I, I still think Missouri's a team that if you were to draw them in the SEC tournament, um, they're just not easy to play against. And I think that's something, too, where, uh, you know, because they do. We've seen what they're capable of on defense. If they can sort of put it all together, they can have those nights where not only are they playing you know, their typical type of defense uh, with consistency, but if they can also be that consistent on offense at the same time, uh, this team is dangerous, and we've seen them, you know, put it together uh, in some of these games, and we've talked about their improvement here late in the season. Um, so that's something to really keep an eye on here with Missouri. I just, I don't think they're going to be a team that you're just going to want to see in your SEC tournament bracket uh, if you're someone that has to play them, and obviously seating at this point is up for grabs. We don't know who's going to wind up where, uh, but that's not a team I want to face because I just think the way they play, um, knowing that it could be a grind it out type of game. And if they put it together on offense, um, you know, that's something where, they could be really hard to beat. Um, and yes, they have to play better away from home. I mean, look, they won this game. That's all that matters. It was their first uh, SEC road win. Uh, how they play away from home in a tournament setting, we don't know. Uh, but uh, it is one of those situations, I think, with Missouri where you know they're, they're going to be challenged a little bit down the stretch here, too. I mean, they've still got uh, two home games against Mississippi State and Alabama. Uh, they've also got to go to Ole Miss, so they could realistically play the spoiler when it comes to Mississippi State and Alabama's NCAA tournament hopes. Um, so that will be on their mind. They'll have the potential to do that against both of those teams in Columbia. Uh, but uh, overall, I just I look at Missouri, and I think that once we get to the SEC tournament, uh, depending on where they finish, uh, may not exactly be a fun draw uh, for whoever winds up uh, in their part of the bracket. 
And then Florida picks up an 81-66 victory against LSU. Once again, the Gators in Gainesville have been really good as of late. And even as we said, they looked pretty good in that game in Kentucky. They had their chances to win that one. Um, But I'm feeling a little bit better, a little bit more confident about saying that this Florida team has turned a corner because I think this was another performance from them where it looks like they're starting to, again, understand what they have to do as a team to get back to being where people thought they would be. And, you know, living up to that potential we talked about uh, in the preseason. Now, no, they're not a, a top 10 team at this point like we thought they could be, uh, but they're, they're making strides. And it started with Keontae Johnson in this one, a double-double, 25 points, 11 rebounds. He went 11 of 15 from the floor, played 37 minutes. Um, Andrew Nembhard, uh, he was good, you know, 17 points. He didn't have a single turnover in 36 minutes of play. Uh, Scotty Lewis had 18 points, uh, and overall here, the Gators only turned it over five times in this game. They shot 55% from the floor. Um, they shot 43% from three-point range, went 9 of 21. Um, this was a game that did not feature a lot of free throws, uh, only 19 shot overall in this one. Uh, but, man, this was such an impressive performance from the Gators. I mean, you, you can't say it enough here uh, what they did because um, this is what we've wanted to see from them uh, because this felt like a game, you know, we, we look at how many close games Florida and LSU have played here recently. Uh, this was one where, again, we sort of talked about um, what Arkansas you know, did with Tennessee, controlling that game uh, pretty much uh, for a large stretch of it. And you had Florida here that led you know, just the entire way here. And it was one where they came out understanding what they had to do uh, to get another nice win, to take another step forward. And, and I was just so impressed with this. Um, you know, and for LSU, Emmett Williams had 25. Um, Trenton Watford had 15. Uh, you know, for Skylar Mays, wasn't his best game. Uh, he only went one of eight from the floor, finished with three points. Uh, but uh, this was one, too, where we go back to the, the theme. Uh, I, I think my score prediction was I had Florida with 79 winning the game. Florida scores 81. So that's now five straight road games for LSU that they've given up 80 or more points. Uh, that's a concerning stat for the Tigers, without question, and it's something that I think is going to really make people look at LSU as we head into tournament play and wonder, you know, is this a team that that is going to be vulnerable to one of those uh, type of upsets? And really, I mean, when you look at their seeding, it might not even be an upset because we're looking at them in the 8, 9, 10 possible range at this point in the tournament, so they might even be playing a team uh, that you would consider an upset, I guess, uh, if you look at it that way. But uh, in terms of of LSU's ability to get back to the Sweet 16, um, you look at this team right now, and even as good as they are on offense sometimes, they're just giving up a lot of points, and it's hard to trust a team that's giving up as many points as they are. Um, and so uh, definitely a huge win for Florida because that puts them you know, in a spot now to where they're able to try to have a chance uh, to secure a top-four seed in the SEC tournament because Florida and LSU both now at 10-5 and five, uh, in league play. And like we said earlier, uh, when we were talking about sort of, you know, how NCAA tournament seeding could play out, uh, this probably gives Florida a chance, you know, potentially to move up to an 8C type of range. Uh, LSU and Florida probably both going to be in that 8-9. But I, I do think the Gators, at least when you look at it the rest of the way, uh, they've got the potential to continue moving forward uh, because they do get that home game against Kentucky. They'll have two straight road games here coming up at Tennessee and Georgia. But you got to love the way Mike White's team's playing right now. And, uh, you know, should Florida wind up being, let's say they are an 8 or 9 seed in the NCAA tournament, 
if they're playing like this, probably don't want to be that one seed that's in that that bracket because um, we know that this team, realistically, if they had played earlier in the season like they're playing now, um, you know, they're probably a top four seed type of team. And so uh, I would not want to be a number one seed that sees an eight or nine seed Florida uh, if they continue playing like this. Uh, but right now, the Gators looking really, really good. Uh, but that'll wrap up uh, this episode of Locked On SEC Podcast. Uh, be sure to subscribe. Have any podcast app you use, just search for Locked On SEC. And uh, again, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, take 15 seconds, leave a nice five-star rating or review. That just helps the show reach more people. And for everything else, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Blake Level. Coming up on the next episode of the podcast, I sort of teased it uh, earlier in the week. Uh, the plan right now is to have an interview with an SEC head coach. Uh, It's on the schedule. I don't want to tell you who it is because, as we know, coaches are very busy uh, this time of year. So if something were to pop up for him and we're not able to do the interview, I don't want to throw it out there just yet. But uh, that is the plan uh, for Friday's episode of the podcast. And we'll also have the previews and picks uh, for Saturday's games, uh, lots of important ones for bubble teams, and we'll go through that uh, on the next episode of the podcast. So uh, thanks, as always, for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time here on the Locked On SEC Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.